following month, I had some guests that came in, and there was actually a shooting at my Airbnb in one of the units. Oh, snap. So nobody got killed, but somebody did get injured. I believe they got shot um, because there was some blood all over the floor. And, uh, like, in the main living room, luckily the wood floor, it wasn't carpet, but um, my cleaning lady was able to clean it all up. There wasn't any permanent damage, but it was it was pretty crazy. Welcome to Live, Let, Thrive, a podcast about the Airbnb life, the share economy, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Micah and Steve. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome back to another exciting episode of Live, Let, Thrive. (laughs) What's up, Micah, man? Chilling, man. What you been up to? Oh, too much to go into right now, and we got a. We, we, this is episode ninety-five, dude. We're, we're serious. This is some serious territory right here. Ninety-five, man. We almost to a hundred. Yeah, we've changed over a hundred lives, I, I think. Yes, sir. I don't know about for the better, but we've changed them somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely have. But yeah, we have a special guest on today. We have Mister. Dang, did I Mar- <laughs> Martin? Potter, yeah. <laughs> How's it going? Can we call you Impot? Yeah, if you want. <laughs> Impot. Call, call me whatever you want. Just pay me. <laughs> I like your mentality. <laughs> you just got to pay me. <laughs> so yeah, we have a, a and Martin. We we're talking off air, and you're an arbitrage specialist. Special specialist. I'm not a specialist, but I am a specialist. <laughs> Your arbitrage specialist. Let's hop yes, right into it. How many how many arbitrages you got? Just two right now for short term rental. Okay. I had, actually had four. I had four um, not too long ago, and I dropped down to two. Okay. Depending on depending on how long this thing goes, I, I might get into why I dropped from four to two. It was definitely for the better. <laughs> why oh. did you go from four to two? <laughs> okay. Well, I guess I brought that on myself, didn't I? Uh, so. I like to target two-unit duplexes for uh, my short-term rental business, and I had a duplex that was in a suburb of Denver um, that uh, it, it was doing pretty well, and we had one month where several things happened to the house all at once. Uh, the electrical box got screwed up, and when uh, a, like 90% of the power in the house was down, for like a week and you know running a short-term airbnb type business that hurts yeah. you know that hurts a lot and so um you know i had two or three guests that it affected i was out of the country at the time on vacation i had a business partner of mine just sort of looking over things making sure it was working you know it was he was maintaining it for me and because um, i manage my listings and um he did an okay job, but I mean, there was no way around it. You know, it affected reviews and kind of, kind of spiraled everything and, um, got some pretty bad reviews from it. And then, uh, when I got back, you know, I tried to try to revive it and it was sort of heading down and, you know, we had one month where it was just, it wasn't good. It didn't profit like it was supposed to. And the following month we had, this is crazy. Just when it rained towards, I guess the following month I had some guests that came in and there was actually a shooting at my Airbnb in one of the units. Oh, snap. So nobody got killed, but somebody did get injured. I believe they got shot. 
um, because there was some blood all over the floor. And, uh, like, in the main living room, luckily the wood floor, it wasn't carpet, but um, my cleaning lady was able to clean it all up. There wasn't any permanent damage, but it was it was pretty crazy. I got a call in the morning a couple days after I got back from, uh, from vacation, and uh, it was a police officer, and he was like, yeah, you know, are you the host of this Airbnb, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, what's going on? And he kind of gave me the, the lowdown and was like, you know, the people that are staying here, they had, there was like a home invasion issue and all this stuff. And I'm like, seriously? And he's like, yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll give you the details later. And so I figured, okay. And he, oh, one of the things that I, that I just forgot was, uh, I guess the guy, like one of the guys staying there, he injured his foot and there was, that's why there was blood on the floor. This was in the morning. And so he said, yeah, there's quite a bit of blood, but it doesn't look like there's any major damage. This was the cop telling me. And I was like, okay, cool. Like these guys check out later this afternoon, so I'll go over there when they check out and like figure out, you know, see what's going on with it. Didn't didn't really think anything of it. And then I get over there in the, later in the afternoon after they had checked out, and I had no idea that there had been something else that had happened between the time that I spoke to the officer and the time that I actually showed up. A second incident happened. Whoever showed up before and was messing with these guys or whatever um, came back, and that's when there was a shooting, and a gun went off. And there was a bullet hole in the floor, and I actually didn't see all this until way later because when I showed up at the property, they had it. They had the whole corner of the block. The house was on a corner. They had the whole corner of the block taped off. I could. They didn't let me anywhere near it, and they had a huge dude, a huge cop standing in the in the doorway, in the open doorway, because it was a crime scene. It was a crime investigation, mm -hmm. and I found all this stuff out like just in pieces. I had to talk to the detective that was assigned to the case. Like, it was just ridiculous, and I was like, man, what, what's going on? <laughs> like, this is nuts. Mm -hmm. And um, so, basically, you know, long story short, I spoke to the owner um, that I'm doing arbitrage with, and we decided to uh, just turn it back into long-term rentals. It kind of freaked the owner out a little bit, um, what had happened. And so, I was like, okay, yeah, no worries, because this, this one's because of this past this last month it was kind of going down anyways and not making me the money that I wanted it to make me so I figured it was probably better for everyone to just drop it and you know focus on um, the other ones that were actually doing well that's that's a hardcore version of the 80 20 rule right there man you, you can't win them all you know <laughs> real. yeah that's probably the worst the, the craziest story I have I guess that's the beauty of the whole arbitrage model. If something like that happens, you could always just say peace out and stop doing that one. You know what I'm saying? Yep, yep. And actually, this is kind of cool. Um, I don't know if you guys, I don't know what you know about the different ways that you can arbitrage, but most people think of the arbitrage model as uh, sandwich leasing, right? So you're you're leasing from the owner, and then you you're not really subletting because you don't have a lease, but you're essentially running an Airbnb business out of a leased property. Um, so after that happened, I really didn't like the fact that I lost money that month because I had to take about two months of previous profit to cut, to make up for the fact that I lost money. You know, you ha you're on the hook. Yeah. You got to make, you got to make that rent payment every month. And so I thought about it from an outside perspective and I'm like, I just lost three months. Like I didn't technically make any money for three months because I had to take the previous two to make up for this, this most recent one. That did not sit well with me, and so I thought of a, a way that I could avoid that. And so what I did was I came back to the owner, and this was only for a month because we shut it down, you know, that same that next month. But then I, I applied it to my my current ones as well, 
and I did away with the whole sandwich leasing thing because I didn't want to ever be on the hook. And so what I did was I created a, um, a partnership agreement with the owners, with the seller, well, not the seller, the owner of the property from, from now moving forward that um, we essentially do the same thing. So let's say, you know, you owe the seller $2,000, the owner, sorry, I do real estate investing as well. You owe, <laughs> you owe the owner $2,000 a month. And instead of doing that, I said, okay, we're going to run this as a partnership. The, the minimum amount is $2,000. So all the money that the Airbnb business makes up to $2,000 goes to you as the owner. If it makes less, just whatever it makes goes to you. Now, the incentive for you is everything beyond that, the profit, we'll call it, you and I will split 50-50. And I'm gonna run it. I'll, you know, I'll still continue to do everything, so you don't have to do anything. I'm hosting it. I'm managing it. I'm, I'm, you know, it's all my resources, my cleaning stuff. I'm talking to the people. Like I'm doing all the work. And in return, everything beyond two thousand dollars, you and I split fifty percent. So I gave up some of my profit, but I also removed all of my liability. So now I either make money or I don't, but I never lose money. Nice. And I like never you did that. That's, yeah, and, that's, and since then I've never lost money on a month. Anyways, it's never been negative, so I think that was sort of a one-off. But I also, I mean, I think I made the scalability a lot better because, I mean, how many of those can you do when you don't have any liability? Yeah. That's cool. We had we had guests before that did something like that. They they're they're co-hosts, so that kind of sounds a little bit like the co-host model because they don't like okay. signing. I mean, they they did they started off like you signing the big long leases, and they're like. And they don't want to do that no more because, like you know, right. an HOA would shut them down. They'd be out of you know, they'd be out a whole year, and yep. so um, so that's what they they shifted to co-hosting, which is uh, yeah, it's it's like insurance on on doing Airbnb, right? So is that so, the same thing they're doing then? Yeah, they they cool. um, they co-host their they they help people run their Airbnbs. Well, actually, they they pretty much run it for them on as a co-host, right. and right. they take twenty percent. Okay. Of so whatever of whatever it makes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, 20 of whatever it makes. Well, cuz yeah, you take 50 okay. of the profit. They take yeah, straight I, 20 out of everything okay. that the, the thing that it makes. That's yeah. Okay. Similar, similar. I like yeah. the way you do it cuz your 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 liability is le- it may cut into your profit but your liability is less. Like Yeah, that. my liability is nothing. So, what about furnishing it? Are they furnishing or are you furnishing? So, that's really always negotiable. Um, the original two that I shut down because of the shooting, I furnished, but the new ones that I right off the bat we did the partnership or the co-host style um, I actually was able to negotiate splitting the costs of the furnish furnishing so we actually we have a running account that I, I just keep accounting it's really easy if you just keep every time you buy something you just you make a note of it so we keep accounting and then we meet up once a month to do, to figure out you know how much we actually made and then how much each of us gets for the 50 split the 50 split um, and then anything that is like for the business. Um, I call it uh, consumables, you know, like toilet paper, paper towels, soap, stuff like that, coffee filter, whatever. All that stuff is paid for out of the operating account. So the, the money that the Airbnb generates. So we just deduct that, you know, from each of our, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Each of your yeah, so, Gotcha. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's pretty cool. So I just use the profit to pay for that stuff. So I never have to come out of pocket. So I actually did initially come out of pocket, like, I think like five or six hundred bucks to get this thing up and going. That's the other thing is like 
I don't know about a lot of other people that do this, but I have some business partners that do this too, but they do like luxury rentals, which is cool. And you can make a lot more money doing it, but they also have, they spend like 20 grand to furnish the place. Jeez. So they're buying all new stuff, like new everything, like, and they partner with private individuals, you know, private capital investors as well, so that they don't have to come out of pocket um, to front that 20 grand. And um, and then the the private investors are getting they're getting a lot better returns than you could normally get with a lot of other things. They're getting like I don't remember now they're trying to get they're getting like forty percent returns on their money, but they're also not getting paid for like two and a half years. Like they get paid, but they're not getting their full return doesn't come back for a couple over two years in this model. Because yeah, I was I was going to wonder how how long is the lease? Yeah, that well I don't have a lease. No, no, no with the you said if if they're they're. You said they partner with investors. They don't yeah. have a lease. How do you, how does that work? Oh, so you just set up like a joint venture agreement or you can do like, I mean, any type of equity partnership. Well, okay. Yeah. okay. You could do like a JV, like a business venture, like a joint venture. Mm. And then there's no will. lease. They just go yeah. on and on with this. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Good idea. Okay. Yep. You could do that. Or, I mean, it really just depends on how you structure it. If you're doing sandwich leasing and you're leasing the owner. So like, okay. I'm the, I'm the guy running it, and then I meet somebody, and I do, well, let's say I do it the way I'm doing it now, but I want to do luxury stuff, so I need $10,000 or $20,000 to furnish this house that I just negotiated, and the owner's not going to split it with me, and I need twenty grand. I would go to one of my private investors that I, you know, a relationship that I've cultivated at some point, and I would say, hey, you know, Let's do this joint venture. We're going to go into this business together. I'm going to run everything, but we're going to use your capital to buy everything. And I'm going to give you a you know 20% return on your money. So every time I make my my 50% split with this owner, you know, a portion of it's going to go to you every month. Hey, I like that. You, you could do that. I've done that a couple times. Not with 20 grand because I don't. I'm I'm like. That's what I was gonna say. I don't. I don't do luxury stuff because I want. I want to see like profit a lot sooner than that. Um, and so, if I'm gonna front the money myself and not use private individuals, I'd, I'll just get thrifty. I just do like middle of the road, average Joe Airbnbs. So, functional is more important than, um, you know, the way it looks. Hmm. So, you said you're doing this in a suburb of Denver. Now, I've heard yeah. Denver. And the Denver area is a little strict on the Airbnbs. What are you doing to get around all that? Well, that's the thing. That's why. I, that's why I do it in a suburb because Denver proper is the one that's strict on Airbnbs. I don't have any Airbnbs in Denver. They're in a. They're in a. The the two I shut down are in a western suburb called Lakewood. Okay. Um, and then the two I still have are in Centennial. It's a southern. It's a suburb just south of Denver. Okay. They're all within twenty minutes of downtown. Denver, and, 20, there, and 20, there's 25 minutes. and there's no strict re, strict regulation in those areas. Nope. Denver's the only one that has that that ridiculous uh, <laughs> regulation where you got to get a business license and it has to be your primary residence and all that stuff. Wow. So if you just stay out of Denver or just have one in Denver that's your primary, and you know if you want this business to be scalable, then uh, you just go elsewhere. I, I guess like we see it over here as like. Um, Let's say, for example, a major city here is Fort Worth. Fort Worth mm-hmm. banned Airbnb a while back. A lot of people still do it. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you could go, you know, and it was safe. Okay, as long as we're out in the suburbs, you know, Arlington, Hearst, Bedford, Euless, Grapevine, whatever. 
we're cool because you know we're a little bitty you know we're little bitty cities but then they just started falling like dominoes you know arlington mm-hmm. grapevine a bandit um yeah, south lake you know all first of all the the higher the richer places then like the more touristy arlington and then they just started falling like dominoes all of a sudden do you do you mm. fear that happening and and what do you put in place to in case oh we, you know what you probably don't have to worry about it too much because you're you're not even on the lease or nothing exactly see <laughs> exactly this there's so many benefits to this doing it structuring your your setup this way it's just if something like that happened something catastrophic happened and they were just like no more airbnbs and they all got shut down or let's say airbnb became it was a fad and it just it just stopped or they got sued for a $200 million. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many ways. There's nothing set in stone. If it went down tomorrow, I'd be fine. <laughs> nice. You know, I would, just, I would just continue doing other real estate investing strategies. How old it's are you? It's not a big deal how to old, me. How old are you, Martin? I'm 29. 29, okay. Nice, yeah, you sir. seem really young. Micah just um, hopped out of the 20 club uh, the other day. He's 39. Oh, nice. Hopped on that brother. 30 train. Yeah. <laughs> so you said, because you said, hold on, the laws wouldn't really affect you. So, like, are you doing it out of apartment complexes or this is someone owns the property? Yes, yeah, so, uh, it's a single family owner. So um, there, it's technically a duplex, but, yeah, it's just a, it's just a private individual. Yeah, so I, I, I tend to, I like to target, I mean, you could you could figure it out with apartments. I just feel like there's more logistics with apartments. Um, so I just target just single family homes or you know obviously multifamily homes. But I just target you know I just target homes. Man, I'm I'm on the same route as you, man. I'm a uh, I had all this furniture sitting in the storage from like these one bedroom units. And I was uh-huh. like, man, I'm, I think I'm going to arbitrage a house. Nice. And I, I think I might do it. You know, so yeah. and that is the smarter thing if you go straight to a landlord. Not yeah. that I've been doing it a while. It's, it is a little bit easier. Yeah, and if if you know what to say and how to incentivize them to mm-hmm. to let you do this this Airbnb situation, I mean, it's pretty easy to get get another one. I'm not. I'm honestly, I probably would have a lot more running right now if that was my focus. Um, but I I also do you know some other things. So, what are your other hustles? <laughs> well, it's all real estate related. Here's what's interesting about Airbnbs, uh, at least doing it to at at this level. Um, it's not technically real estate. Did you know that? Yeah, it's software. Well, actually, it's it's the hospitality industry. Correct. So we're not using real estate strategies to maintain it anymore. It's not even related to or similar to a long-term rental. It's hospitality now. Long-term rentals, you just get somebody in there, and they pay you rent every month. And if something's broken, they still pay your rent. You just fix it when you get around to fixing it, right? With this, with short-term rentals, it's completely hospitality. It's like running a hotel. It's all based on feedback. It's all based on customer experience. It's completely different. And I wish I had thought about that more when I got into this. <laughs> Man, I mean, it's, uh, it, still pay, it still pays well. Don't get me wrong, but you know, I, I, I like I like stuff that I don't have to deal with people constantly. Um, you know, customer, retail, all that kind of. I don't like that um, necessarily. If I had to choose. Uh, but it pays so well, I just can't not do it, you know. See, you, you led me right into my next question. Okay, nice. What systems do you have in place to automate your business? Nice. That's a good question. Um, so that's the other thing. Because I don't want to be in a hospitality industry, 
I do as much as I can to automate my business. So literally the only thing that I do is, and I could even, I could uh, give up a little bit of my profit to um, leverage this out as well, but I don't, is uh, communicate with inquiries and uh, communicate with guests just on some basic things. Um, but everything else, I mean, I don't, I go to my properties probably once a month. I don't have to do much. I have everything set up. I have a cleaning lady who I've sort of turned into almost management. Um, you know, she does laundry too. Like it's all about what you can negotiate, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I've, before I got into this, I, I spent $20,000 on an investing program and it's, it's more of a financial literacy program. So they teach you all kinds of stuff cool stuff so I, I've been learning before I got into Airbnb I feel like this I was kind of like bread you know I was made for this like all my all my foundations was you know raising private capital and leveraging and negotiating and you know building communication um, you know building networks and cultivating relationships with people and just understanding how to how to how to move how to move with this you know what I mean yeah, man. It sounds like uh, I was actually um, I was with a meeting this weekend with um, you guys. Might have heard of Airbnb Automated on YouTube. Yeah, yep. Sean Rakitic, and I hope I said his name right. But uh, I was talking to him, and that's what he pretty much said. He he owned a media company, and he used okay. a media company inside of Airbnb, and it it grew. You know, I like nice. how you used your twenty thousand, you invested it in something else, and then you use that in your Airbnb business. Yep, yep. Definitely. I mean, it's so crazy when. You know, thinking about that from, just think about that. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, I have this financial literacy program, or you find it in some way, and they're, and it's supposed to teach you how to make a million dollars, essentially. I mean, how do you, you can't really put a number on it, but let's just say it's worth a million dollars, and they say it's 20 grand. The way that we're programmed, the way that we grow up, spending money, especially that kind of money, on something outside of traditional school, most people are like, no, you know. Or they're like really skeptical. It's because it's a scam. It's BS. Like whatever, which is what I was originally. That's how I I, I saw it. I looked at it, um, but after I got involved long enough and exposed to it, I realized that it was like it really was going to teach me what I needed to know. You know, and I've made my money back times ten already um, from it. So it's been well worth it. But it's just interesting the way that we look at things, and it's I really think it's because of the way we're programmed, the way we, the way we grow up, the way we're taught sort of how to look at things. You know, we're taught to go to college so that we can get a job to work for someone else. Like, they just, it's all so that you can continue to, you know, work for the man and continue the, the rat system. race. You know what I mean? Yeah, just running the rat race. But there's some of us that are outliers that refuse to follow that. Right. And that's definitely me. I mean, I, ha I haven't had a real job in five years. Man. So you've been, been doing this for five years? I haven't been doing Airbnb for five years, but I've been a real estate investor full-time for five years. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, so I started doing fix and flips and uh, some rental, a couple buy and holds, uh, wholesaling a little bit, and um, and then Airbnbs this last like year, year and a half. So okay. You, so you got, a, you got a couple buy, buy and holds? I do, yeah. And where are those at? Those are in Colorado Springs, so they're like an hour from my house. And you haven't thought of putting them on Airbnb? No, because then I'd have to do some work. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't I haven't been to that property in probably two years. Um, I have a property manager. Again, I have it all automated. I have that one even more automated than my Airbnbs. Nice. That's the one good thing about long-term rentals, buy and hold stuff, is you can have that thing completely automated so that money just hits your bank account every month and you don't have to do anything for it. 
That's that's how you scale. That's how you scale. Yeah, exactly. Got to get your Airbnb business to do the same. Yeah, all right. That's the thing. Is like I could pay somebody to manage it. I just don't think it's worth it. I mean, I only have two. Maybe if I have like ten, minimum ten, maybe then it might be worth volume wise to like pay somebody to manage it for me. But I don't want to give up that much profit. Then I might as well, you know, just continue doing long term rentals. If I, you know what I mean, because a lot of the Airbnb managers out there, they don't. They don't charge the same as if you pay like a property manager to manage your long-term rentals. So, how many? I know you have two Airbnbs right now. Do you, yeah. do you plan on getting more? And if so, how many? Yeah, so that's kind of like I'm, I'm open to having more, but I'm not actively pursuing them. Um, so, you know, my the the twenty thousand dollar program that I told you I got involved with, it's. Um, it's a, na- a national organization, so there's a group of pe- hey, quiet. There's a group of people that uh, all across the country, even in Hawaii, that are part of it. And so, a lot of people that get involved are newbies, which is fine because I was a newbie when I started. I mean, you got to start somewhere. Um, and so, a lot of people have they have a, a a problem with finding the money. They don't know how to find the money. That's the biggest challenge for new people. So I always just tell them, like, you know, once you get past that, it'll be easy. But until then, just find some deals, you know. Just focus on finding some deals, and uh, the money will show up. And if it's a good enough deal, I'll buy the, I'll buy the deal from you. you know, I'll buy the house from you, or I'll, I'll go into partnership with you, and I'll bring the money. So you don't have to worry about that part. Um, and so people bring me deals, like, constantly. And so that's actually how my most recent, the ones that I still have the airbnbs i have that's how those came around i didn't i didn't actually go find those they just came they fell in my lap there's a a gentleman in my group in my real estate investment group who was like hey you do airbnbs and i was like yeah because i had those two other ones and he was like hey i want to i want to turn my house into one but i don't know how to do it you want to partner on it And i was like yeah sure so i just ran him through you know the partnership situation that i told you about and he was like cool let's do it because he wanted to learn and understand how it works and so it's a win-win I'm all about making win-wins. It's got to be, you know, good for everyone. Being ready to pull the trigger. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to pull the trigger because I got access to capital. There we go. So, like, okay, another question I have for you since you're in the Denver yeah. market. Or, like, uh-huh. I know you're not actively pursuing Airbnbs, but would do you know, what would you consider a good market for Airbnb right now? Like a good market to invest in? Uh, like if you're going to buy the property yourself? Yeah, buy or arbitrage for Airbnb. Hmm. Denver's great. <laughs> I have, I mean, I have like 95% occupancy. Wow. <laughs> uh, I have like three, two or three days out of the month every month. I mean, last month. Yeah, I think last month we had three, three days vacant on the one unit and I think maybe four on the other unit. So are you are you doing all your pricing by yourself? Or is that- um, yeah, so that was another thing that had like a bit of a learning curve. Um, I started with like smart pricing and then that was crap, so I got rid of it and then I started manually doing it. And there's some other like kind of cool websites that'll do some more, more um, complex and smarter pricing, um, no pun intended. Um, there's one called Beyond Pricing that was pretty good. I was using them for a while. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I kind of got to a point where I've established a strong enough, um, you know, baseline with my listings. And so 
I took all that stuff. I got rid of all that stuff, and I just have a baseline now. And then um, I decrease it a little bit if I have like you know a couple days open that week. You know, you know what I'll so, I'll, I'll say because um, Micah preaches from the mountaintops about um about um, Price Labs, and it's and oh, I, Price Labs, yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, have you tried Pretty it good. before? I have, yeah. Okay, yeah, they, they they have a bunch of intricate stuff. I'm learning it. I'm just trying it out right now because I'm I just setting up yeah. a, an Airbnb right now and I'm I'm trying to use mm-hmm. it. It's you know thirty days free, and yeah, so yeah. um, <clears throat> excuse me. So with, but what I but I was trying at first. I was like you know, and I hadn't done Airbnb well since like um, early this this past year, and and I w- I was still doing the the beyond pricing before that, and so because you know I. Hearst got shut down. I had an Airbnb there. So, I, anyways, I'm setting one up now. And and just from just in the last few months, um, it seems like um, smart pricing has gotten a lot better. And I mean, they yeah. they were they were asking me to raise my prices. I was like, damn, you know, smart. And mm-hmm. and plus, they have it where you can do that far out, you know, you, you know different far out pricing. And and you could um, right. you you can do like you know set it up for um, longer minimum stays farther out. I mean, it has a lot of stuff that. That um, smart, you know, maybe not as intricate as um, mm-hmm. as the um, price labs, but they're getting there, man. And I think that's what I think they just want to be a whole self sufficient thing, and, it, and it's kind of cool. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think I think what smart prices is starting to do is look at how many people you offer. Like if you offer six peeps, eight people, right? Mm-hmm. It gives you a price based on that eight. Like, hey, you should charge. One fifty, two fifty a night. You know what I mean. So yeah, smart pricing has gotten a lot better. Like I'm looking at one of my calendars now, and it's told me to wait raise my price. So it's yeah, pretty good. And I remember the early days of smart pricing. Like you put a, whole, a three three bedroom, two bath house on there, and they and you put it out there, you know, hundred bucks a night, whatever. Starting off, and they're saying, ah, "Why don't you put it at 20 You're like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, yeah. I remember I, that. I guess now <laughs> I guess I haven't it, messed with it since. Okay, so you just do your own, like you said, baseline prices. I have like a baseline price, and then if I continue to maintain, you know, in the ninety percent occupancy range after a month or two months or so, I let it ride, and then I'll and then I'll kind of up the prices. I'll just kind of creep the prices up a little bit at a time. So I'll just raise the baseline price, you know, by five bucks. If if like, I think we just raised the prices. Uh, we did it more than five bucks, though. So. I'm trying to remember now. We were getting ninety, like ninety-five percent occupancy for like three months straight, and I, I wasn't messing with the baseline, and so I decided to raise it. Like uh, I think I raised it like twenty bucks, just to see. And um, you know, and you can always drop it back down if it's not looking so good. Um, but I've still been getting some pretty good reservations, so I don't know. Nice. We'll see. Nice. And um, yeah. one thing I came across today was, um, and and I had to put it out there on the forums. I asked Micah too, but he's a busy dude. But <laughs> I said, for example, I, I woke up this morning to a, a, a booking for Thanksgiving, a one-day booking uh-huh. on Thanksgiving, and mm-hmm. for for a Cowboys game because you know the Cowboys play every Thanksgiving. I was like, oh shit! I didn't. You know, luckily, you see, I didn't. I, I haven't gone that far in setting it up yet. I wanted to make the holidays like Micah does. You know, make it. You have to rent the whole week if you want that holiday. And so, yeah. and I, I hadn't got to that point yet, and I was like, "Crap!" But luckily, it was um, it was someone with no reviews, 
and mm. just you know they started their Airbnb probably yesterday, and so I could, <laughs> I didn't have to accept them you know in, in yeah, the yeah, um, instant it. book. So I rejected them, and then I went instantly went over there. I, I tinkered around and I figured out how to put like a four day minimum on Thanksgiving, a four day minimum on Christmas, and you know, nice. And like a couple hours later, I got a five day booking for Thanksgiving. I was like, oh damn! <laughs> there you go. I dodged the bullet That's there. Awesome. So do you do you do that also? You put like um, uh, three day, four day minimums on holidays. Yeah, I have that too. Um, I also don't have. Are we even? Do you have Christmas available already? I only do a three month extent, like extended period out. I only do three months rolling. Okay, yeah, I have it available. I mean, is, you you find it better just to do three at a time? Well, it's, I mean, it's different for me because I never know if it's going to be my last month. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's you know true. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not that it would be, but uh, you know, things can change, and I don't want to be too far out. Um, and if your prices are right, I mean, people will book, so you don't have to worry about like making sure you're all you're all booked up. You know, five months from now, like it's not a it's not a big deal if your prices are right. That's really what it's all about is pricing. Some good tips right there. Good tips. Yes, sir. What about you, Micah? How far out do you book? Oh, uh, depends on the unit. Um, like actually, it's funny y'all ask. I'm out here uh, changing up my uh, one of my Little Rock places now. Uh, so if it's like a whole house. I'll just do all future dates, and then I let Price Lab run its magic. Nice. Where if it's 20 nights out, far out, you have to stay a minimum of four nights, and you also have a minimum pricing. So if, like, during the week, if it's 20 days out, yeah, it's a minimum of $75. And then the weekends are, like, a minimum of, like, 105 110-ish. I nice. play with it all the time. Yeah, yeah. Cool. How many do you have? How many what? How many, how many Airbnb units do you have? short-term rental units? I'm up to about active, probably like 60-plus, but like like 400-plus. Oh, awesome. Yeah, they're making timeshares, and I have a few arbitrages, and then I have uh, a whole house. Then I'm trying to get – I have a few – one corporate rental right now, and then I'm trying to get – I'm thinking about getting another arbitrage. Yeah, sweet. You making good money then? Yeah, but I need to increase it. Because I need to, because most of my stuff's coming from like timeshares, so okay. I gotta work on getting my other stuff up and going. Right. Yeah. Cool, man. Congrats. Yeah, yeah, I gotta keep growing. Now. How much more money yeah. you need, Micah? Uh, a whole lot more. So I gotta keep clocking in. <laughs> How much are you making, Micah? What? How much are you making? How much was I making? How much are you making? Are you? Right now, with all most of my listens being shut down because I'm threw all my money into software, I'm like oh. making probably eleven thousand a month. Okay. But I'm gonna try to get it back up to where I was last summer, where I was making like forty-eight, fifty thousand a month. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. See, Mike has done it from all different angles. He even rented rooms out of his own house. Yeah. So he's he's done every single way. That's you the could killer, do it. right there. He can do that. That yeah. like saves everything, right? You can house hack it. House hacking is the best. Yeah, yeah. I just talked to somebody who's doing that. He he's got a place in Telluride, uh, Colorado. Te- what, what part? It's called Telluride. Telluride. Okay. It's where all the like celebrities buy like their million dollar mansion estates outside of California. He went for he went uh, the high end route, huh? Yeah, I mean he's he's not a celebrity, but he's in the snowboard industry. Uh, he's from Australia. I was just talking to him today, actually, and he got he he got in right at the right time. I think he bought his house like five years or five years ago. Yeah, I think it was five years ago. 
um, and he bought his house on foreclosure, and it was just a one-bed, one-bath house, and he took, like, an entire year off of work and built, uh, you know, added on and turned it into a 3-2. And so now he said uh, he rented out one of the rooms. He he had a a bad breakup with his his girl, and so he just lives there alone now, so he's like, I'm just going to rent the rooms out now. Um, and so he rented one of them out, and then he just rented his second one out. He said, with those two people renting rooms in his house and sharing the, the second bathroom, he still has his own spot. He still has a one-bed, one-bath place. And then um, he's going to actually not only make his mortgage payments, but also cash flow a couple hundred bucks a, a month, which is huge in Telluride. I mean, yeah. the average home price in Telluride is $1.7 million. <laughs> average. That's Damn. the average price. Isn't that crazy? Dang. It's like Frisco now. Well, Frisco's half a million average. It's but, yeah, that's crazy. Dang. He's so, making, yeah, if he makes money like that, man. Because I remember when I was renting out my rooms, I'm thinking about throwing some more back on there. Yeah, yeah. I was making killing. Then you ain't got to pay your mortgage. That's like the biggest thing. If you right. can live for free. And, and the, the kicker is those are long-term renters. So I'm thinking, I talked to him today about it, just kind of put the bug in his ear. I'm thinking like, I told him, I'm like, dude, if you turn that into an Airbnb, like if you Airbnb those two rooms, like, yeah, it's going to require a little bit more of your time, but I think it could be worth it. You could probably double what you're getting. Easy. I, I did a hybrid like, model. Mm-hmm. I was doing corporate rental and Airbnb with it. If you do a okay. hybrid model, man, yeah, it yeah. kills it. Nice. Hang some cool snowboards on the wall. It'd be, be nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he works for like one of the prominent snowboard companies. So Sweet. he's like a manager for them and like a sales rep or something. I don't even know. It's funny you said that about putting the snowboards on the walls. Cause I think that's where Airbnb really like where people who have like one or two or three make a whole lot of money. I think it's, they put like, they do those like unique spaces, like the, the tree houses, the air board, the, the snowboard, something you, you do something unique and different. You can mm-hmm. make a whole lot of money. Man. Oh yeah. Yep. I'm following um, on Instagram uh, the the hashtag Airbnb thing, and man, there's some beautiful houses. The way they set them up, and a lot of it is like, man, I could do that, you know what I'm saying? But it's just like it's so different. It's not just the regular HGTV crap, you know, which, which looks good. But it's, I mean, yeah. I mean, they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Like I said, snowboards on the wall kind of thing, surfboards on the wall, or a bicycle hanging from somewhere. I, I don't know, just like like different stuff that, that's just. <laughs> unique and it just it just grabs people because we're all still kids at heart you know what i'm saying so I mean, we yeah. go somewhere on vacation and oh, wow this, this is fucking cool but um yeah let's get to the the elephant in the room man yeah we we had alluded to the to the uh marijuana earlier and uh <laughs> so how does that work i mean you you of course i mean you're rent you're renting near denver you have to you have to let the guests do their thing right yeah um yes and no um, so at my old units, I didn't have a problem with it. I mostly just defer to the owner, what their preference is, if they have a preference, uh, cause it's their place, you know, I don't own the property. Um, and so the old place was, it was fine. And we had a few issues here and there. There's some cleanup involved. Sometimes people aren't respectful or they'll leave, you know, they'll leave wax, like wax on the table, like just like stuff that's just not cool. And, or they'll smoke in the house even though we say, please don't smoke in the house, you know. Um, but this new place, the, the, the owner, he's, he's very conservative and doesn't, he's really strict. He doesn't want any type of smoke. 
Um, so we just we just have it in our house rules, like no smoking of any kind. Hmm. Uh, people still do it every once in a while. You know, I hear different things, and sometimes guests will rat each other out. You know, upstairs will tell on the downstairs and vice versa. And sometimes the cleaner will go in there and be like, yeah, it smells like smoke a little bit when I came in here. Little things like that, but nothing major, luckily. Have you ever dealt with, like, a place where you would tell them, hey, this is 420 friendly, whatever, and are you able to charge, like, a premium on that? Mm, I don't believe you can do a premium on 420 friendly. I mean, maybe some people try, but I I think a lot of places, they'll, do, they'll have 420 friendly. Although, now that I think about it, I had somebody reach out to me not too long ago, and they were like, hey, we're having trouble finding a place that will let us smoke. And I was like, really? Because they were trying to get me to bend my rules, and I was like, no, sorry, like it's not even up to me. Um, so maybe not, maybe not so much. I mean, I don't, I don't travel in my own city. I don't stay Airbnb, so maybe that's something I need to look into just to find, just so I have that knowledge, so I, I know. But as far as I knew, there were several places that'll do. They say MMJ friendly or 420 friendly, um, but maybe not so much lately. I don't know. Yeah, because I, I was a uh, I consulted a person out in Portland to start their Airbnb. Uh-huh. I was like I was like uh, see if you could do that. You know what I'm saying? See if you could. Which she she ended up getting shut down because they said it was illegal, whatever what she was doing. But I, I was oh. I was trying to test the market on that. Like, hey, if you could make it, you know, 420 friendly, maybe you know, get a little extra paper. Uh, I yeah, would, I wonder true. if that's a major reason why the um, the edibles business over there is exploding because a lot of spots in Denver don't let you smoke. You know, major hotels and stuff like that. Think about that. Right, right. That's true. Yeah. So, and, and one of y'all spots, that'd be no problem just to bring some brownies in and just hang out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't care about that. I don't think the owner cares about that either. He just doesn't want smoke. No smoke. Yeah, smoke, smoking sucks anyways. So screw it. It does. Yeah, it's gross. <laughs> it really is. Just, just eat a little bit of a brownie. You'll be all right for hours, <laughs> maybe a couple of days. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've interviewed. Um, what's his name out of Denver? Um, what's his name? We interviewed early on. James Carlson. James Carlson. You, you familiar? Oh with yeah, him? the bigger pockets guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Tyler Work. We've interviewed a few people out of Denver. Okay, cool. Yeah, James Carlson. I haven't met them. James Carlson's. A, yeah, he's he's next level. He he yeah. he's a real estate agent too. So he. Yeah. And and his big selling point, he puts people in houses with like these finished basements. And he tells them, "Look, you can you can you can afford this house, and you can rent the bottom out and pay for the whole thing, you know, because it's it's your prop your primary residence, and right. you're allowed to do do it there." And so right. he was he was showing us because he has a couple spots of his own, and he said, "Man, he said him and his um his wife they never have to buy <laughs> buy anything again because some the guests leave so much stuff behind." <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that, like, yeah, that happens to me a lot too. Oh, nice, kind of nice. You just pay. You just get stuff up and running, and then a lot of the times, you know, they'll buy their own, or bring their own body wash, or buy their own shampoo, or whatever, and then they just leave it. So you got like a rolling. You know, I don't have to buy creamer for my coffee anymore because there's always a bottle of creamer in the fridge. Man, so you know, because people buy the big creamer bottle because that's all you can buy, and then they use yeah. it twice, and then they just leave it. Just make sure they it ain't um, get on a flight. Marijuana infused creamer. On accident. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, if it was, I, I wouldn't care. <laughs> it's, not, it's not smoked creamer. It's not, the, the creamer's not smoking out of the bottle, so who cares? <laughs> Million dollar idea right there. <laughs> Man, liquid marijuana. Liquid hey, marijuana. so my, my, my question to you, because you said you do real estate. What other real estate ventures are you into? 
Um, so currently, I'm still doing fix and flip. Okay. Um, and then uh, I have those long-term rentals, and then I've been slowly, slowly getting into some multifamily stuff. Um, but I do things a little different. I I'm like very averted to using bank products, and um, well, not all bank products. I'm averted to using mortgages. Mm-hmm. I don't like using mortgages because you pay way too much in interest, um, and it's front-loaded. It's amortized interest, and so. Uh, Again, just back on my leverage game, I, I've done about 10 deals in the last couple of years, and I've never used my own money. So do you do a hard money loan and then refi out, or what are you doing? So I do a, a private money loan, not hard money, private money, um, which is way better because you can negotiate the terms. So I don't, I don't meet a lot of uh, private investors. I create them. Go into how you do that. I like that. <laughs> Um, well, one really simple explanation is, did you know that you can use a retirement account to invest in real estate? Yeah. IRA, turn like into IRA. 401k or an IRA. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people don't know, or if they do know, they don't understand how it works. Mm-hmm. You know, it's involved, uh, the way that you do it is a self-direction, self-directed retirement account. A lot of people know that word now, but they don't really understand what it is. And so I'll, I'll, lately I've been coming across a lot of people that are like, oh, yeah, I'm, my, my account self-directed. I'm like, great, so can you use it to, to buy a, a house? And they're like, well, no. I'm like, what do you mean? Then how is it self-directed? And so what's happening is these, these money managers, Fidelity and uh, you know, Merrill Lynch and Charles Schwab, like all these companies that are, that are um, financial advisors, They've caught on to this wave of self-direction, of true self-direction, and so now they've created these accounts that they call your self-directed retirement account, but it's still being managed by them, which isn't a self-directed retirement account. Correct. So a self-direct, self-directed, a true self-directed retirement plan is quote-unquote managed. It's held by a TPC bank, a third-party custodian bank, and so what those companies do is. That's all they do is they and they create an account for you. They help you roll over your monies from, let's say, Fidelity. They roll it over penalty-free and tax-free into your self-directed account, and then it just sits there, and you pay like an annual couple hundred dollar fee, depends on the balance, to, to let it sit there. And they don't so they don't take commissions. There's nothing like that that goes on. But the caveat is, you then have to use it to direct it where you want it to go and to what investments you want it to go into. And so once it's in that environment, then you can use it for real estate. You can use it for anything. There's only three things that are not allowed by law when it's in a self-directed retirement plan. And that is um, buying shares of an S corporation, um, investing in or funding life insurance, and um, buying collectibles. And that, that's the, the most recent rule that they added was buying collectibles because people were buying like um, collections of wine and then drinking the wine. <laughs> Because you're not allowed to personally benefit from a retirement account without without paying a penalty. Oh, right? I see, I see, I see. And so that's if you, if you if you invest in a in a in a collection of wine, but then you drink the wine, you're personally benefiting and devaluing the collection you just bought. So if you bought some Mad Dog 2020 and then you drink. <laughs> exactly. I, you know, it's funny you said that because I've heard uh, of that's rich people actually. You know. They invest in art, and they, they mentioned wine. They actually invest in wine. I was like, that's, that's 
some rich people crap right there. But they found a yep. way to to kind of you know they got rid of that. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that is not allowed. That's yeah, that's LeBron cool. James vests in wine. <laughs> <laughs> he does. So that's so that's one of the main ways that I raise private capital is you know I I meet people all the time. There's 27 trillion dollars in, in retirement accounts in this country. If you break that down into 300 million people that live here, 320 whatever, roughly every man, woman, and child would have 250 grand in a retirement. You pretty much go baby boomer hunting, huh? <laughs> I mean, I, you'd be surprised who I meet because I, there's tons of people that aren't even of close to that age. I mean, I have I have a guy that's 26 years old. That's a, one of my private lenders. He's got like 100k. His dad passed away and left him some money. Oh. Yeah, you know, like you just mm-hmm. never know, and so I just treat everybody equally. And I talk to, you know, I talk to people all the time. I just, every time I meet somebody, I, I end up on this tip, and then I, I talk to them and I ask them just a couple quick questions. And one of them is that first one I asked you: Do you know you can invest in real estate with a retirement account? And they usually say no. And then I'm like, Yeah, well, then I kind of tell them what I just said, and then I say, um, You know, what's what's been your average rate of return in your retirement account like over the last couple of years? And the most common answer is, I don't know. Right? Yeah. 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 So the, the average across the country is like 3 or 4%, maybe 5%, depending on who you ask, um, in the market, which is crap. I mean, what's inflation? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. 3 3 or 4 or 5%, yeah. depending on who you ask. Yeah. So if your money is barely keeping up with inflation or not even, are you really making any money? Nope. I mean, how are you expecting to retire off of uh, a system like that? in 30 years if it's just barely keeping up with retirement. I mean, retirement goes up and then your account, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like your money is worth less every year, but it's only gaining in interest the amount that it's being worth less. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So it doesn't make a lot of sense. And now that's, you know, it's proof. What's happening lately is all these baby boomers that are not able to retire. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's, Two-thirds of the baby boomers right now don't have the money to retire. That's true. It sucks. So, so walk, us through, walk us through a deal. Let's say, uh, tell us, like, I don't know, give us an example. You find a property for whatever price, and then you go find, what, two or three people? to How, how does it work? Show, walk us through, like, a, a, a you know, a make, make up a deal. Um, okay. Let's say I'll keep it simple so I won't do it with multiple people. I've done, I've done it. I've had up to I think I've had five lenders on one deal before, but then I've also done it with just one. Obviously, it's better and easier and simpler if you can get all the money from one person. Okay. Um, so let's say you buy a house for a hundred grand, or you find something that's a hundred grand. Um, you negotiate the price down to a hundred grand. Let's say it's worth like uh, I don't know. Let's say the fair market value is like one forty, one fifty. Right. I'm always getting. It's always getting a discount. It's important. You don't buy stuff at retail value if you're going to invest. That's just good sense. So if you don't know how to do that, you got to learn how to do that. <laughs> you got to learn how to identify properties that are under market value. Um, you know, at a discount. And then, so let's say we're buying it for a hundred. It's worth one hundred and fifty, so we're getting a pretty good discount on it. And then it needs—I don't know. Let's say it needs fifty thousand dollars to fix up. When it's fixed up, it'll be worth two hundred. Okay. Are, are those are those typical? I mean, am I exaggerating too that much? That sounds good. Uh, yeah, that sounds good. Does that sound okay? Yeah. So we're buying it for a hundred. We're putting fifty into it, and it's worth two hundred. We'll sell it for two hundred. Now there's some hard costs that go along with that, like realtor fees and holding costs, closing costs, like all that stuff. Let's just say 
this guy I'm borrowing the money from, I need 150 total, right? I need 100 to purchase and 50 to fix, right? 50 for rehab. He's got it in his retirement account that I just helped him uh, roll over into a self-directed account. So I say, look, Micah, you've got this $150,000 in your retirement account. I will give you 12% return on your money. What were you getting before? You don't know. That must that means it wasn't good, right? Mm-hmm. And then we looked into it, and it was getting three percent, which is pretty typical. Okay, so you're getting three percent. I'll give you twelve percent. I'll give you more than triple what you're getting right now. You're like, okay, well, give me the details. How my how's my money secure? Like, what's the risk involved? Well, there's always risk, right? So I don't want you to think there's not. However, if you're working with an educated investor, the risk is very minimal. It can be. One of the reasons is because I got the property at discount. So we're going to use your money, 100 grand, to buy this house. I don't actually ever see that money. So the money gets transferred from your retirement account to the title company. The title company puts it in escrow and closes on the on the house, right? I'm taking title in my comp- my LLC. My business is buying this property. So I own the property. You own the debt. Your retirement account, rather, owns the debt. You're like the bank. You have the mortgage. It's not a mortgage, but you have the mortgage. Well, so Mr. I, Potter, I just invested in VT Sachs, and they said I'll be retired in 15 years. Uh, how many flips have you done? Enough. This is my portfolio. You know what's funny? I've never had... No, I'm, I might have had one person ask me that. Really? Because, yeah, because when I talk to people and they, uh, they see how much I understand and how, I, how much I know about this process, that's never a question that comes up. You know what? It's clear to them that I know what I'm talking about. I 100% agree with you because when I talk about Airbnb to people, like if I'm talking to them into doing it or partnering on a deal or anything, they usually are like, cool, where do I give, how do I start? I'm like, oh, okay. But like you said, if, man, if you have confidence and you know what you're talking about, people throw you some money. Yep. You just have to understand it. It's just repetition. I had to go through the process and learn the process. Like, you know over a certain amount of time before I understood it. The one I understood it, it's really easy to talk about because I understand the ins and outs. Okay, okay. So okay. back to the, so back to the deal. He's like, all right, man, I trust you. I'm going to give you the money. And then you go oh. ahead and ha- what, what happens next? So hold on. So he, he funnels the money to title. And in return, this isn't just like, hey, give me this money and I might pay you back. In return, this is secured by two security instruments. The first security instrument is called a deed of trust. And the second security instrument is called a promissory note. So the promissory note secures the uh, borrower or uh, secures the money from the borrower to the lender. So it says um, my LLC, um, I, my, one of my LLCs is called Absolute Investments. Absolute Investments is borrowing this money to buy this property um, from Micah's retirement account. And it's going to pay 12% interest over a six-month term, whatever, whatever, right? Whatever we negotiate, whatever we, whatever the, the time period is. Lump sum, too. That's the best part. It's, it's, all, it's all what you're willing to negotiate. It's all what the other person's willing to do. And so I don't ever want to make monthly payments like a hard money lender would charge because that's just more money I got I to gotta borrow. I got to over-borrow to make my monthly payments while I'm letting, having this deal get worked out. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't like that. I just say, look, you know, this is, this is where it's going. It's going here. So I'll just... It'll, it'll pay back when we sell the house for six months. It's really just when we sell the house. 
um, it'll get paid back in a lump sum. So the principal plus the interest will all get paid back all in one chunk. Back to your retirement account, right? It doesn't go to you if you're lending out of your retirement account. If you're lending out of your own money, obviously, it'll just go back to you. So, then so you have to consider that income. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. So if it goes directly back into their into the retirement account plus 12%, mm-hmm. you know, prop, yep. uh, profit, um, yep. they don't get taxed on that? Nope. That's- so this is what's really cool. An IRA in this country can be in two different – there are two different ways you can structure an IRA. There's a traditional IRA and there's a Roth IRA. You might be familiar with this. A traditional IRA, you don't pay taxes for any contributions, right? There's a limit on contributions as well. I think, uh, what is it, 5500 5, or something a year. I always get 401K and IRAs mixed up. But one of them is 5500 and one of them is like seven grand now. Uh, it's not a lot of money, but that's how much you're allowed to contribute every year to it. Um, and that's all tax-free. However, when you initiate distributions, meaning when you start pulling money out of the account, when you reach 59 and a half or whatever the retirement age is now, you do t- you do pay taxes, you pay income tax on that money, right? Mm-hmm. The reverse for a Roth account. A Roth account, you pay money on or you pay taxes on any contributions you make. And when you go to for distribution, when you start pulling money out or taking money out at retirement age, there's no tax on that. So when people are sort of asking me, like, when they're going to roll over their account and they have monies in different areas and whatever, I'm just like, well, what do you have? You know, sometimes people already have traditional accounts. And then I'm like, okay, how much is in there? And we kind of discuss it. And they're like wondering, what should I do? Should I keep it in traditional or should I do Roth? And the best analogy that I've heard is, do you want to pay um, taxes on the seed? Or do you want to pay taxes on the harvest? Right? Because if you're interested in growing your retirement account and it's going to be bigger down the road, if you're in a traditional setup, you're going to pay more taxes because there's going to be more in the account at the end. Right? You didn't pay taxes going in, but you're going to pay taxes going out, coming out. So most people are like, okay, that makes sense. And so a lot of people will end up converting their accounts to Roth. I'm not a financial advisor, so there's nothing that I can specifically recommend. I just tell, I just give them the information. I'm like, it's up to you. Like, it's not my, I'm not a financial advisor. Um, but anyway, so, and then the other thing is growth, right? So we're talking about growth. Like, uh, this would be growth. Like, if you let, if you let money out of a retirement account and it made twenty thousand dollars in interest, that's not a contribution, so it doesn't, it doesn't hurt the limit. It's called growth. And growth is 100% tax-free, and there's no limit on growth. That's beautiful. <laughs> Are you familiar with Mitt Romney? Yeah. Yes, sir. So Mitt Romney, when he ran for president a few years back, I guess it's been a decade now. I don't remember exactly. Uh, when he ran for president, he released his tax returns, and he made he had $10 million in retirement accounts. Do you think that he got $10 million by contributing 5500 a year? <laughs> so there, there's two there's two games being played in this country and one of them's the wealthy way and one of them's the other way <laughs> and the problem is is everyone else that's not a one percenter don't under they don't know the rules they don't understand the rules so they're not playing by those rules same board but somebody's playing checkers and somebody's playing chess yeah, OJ, yes, OJ used some real estate stuff to get, to keep a lot yes, of his did. money, didn't he? Yeah, so that's the other thing. Retirement accounts are unsuable. You cannot sue retirement accounts. 
he went out in Miami or to Florida and bought him a big ass mansion from his retirement funds, and there's no way they could touch it because that's considered part of yep. his retirement. Yeah, yep, exactly. That's insane. So there's some rules and regulations and things to understand about you know revolving around retirement accounts. But yeah, once you know the rules, like, man, it's so awesome. And there's there's actually a better system than that, which might have to be another conversation. But it has to do with um, overfunding a life insurance policy. Oh, nice, nice. So, that's that's like, the new wave. You don't like even need retirement accounts anymore if you do that. So with self-directed IRA, you can. It's a certain. It's a cap on how much money you can put in there. That you can personally put in there, right? That you can personally contribute. But if you're using the money to invest, and that the investments produce returns. There's no cap on that. Gotcha. Yeah. If you're just giving it, if you're just putting cash into it, then there is a cap, and it's pretty small. But if you're savvy and you're using, you're leveraging that money to make more money. That's not a contribution. That's called growth. Gotcha. And there's no tax and no limit on growth. Man, now, Martin, me, we all gonna have to have a conversation after the cast, <laughs> right? <laughs> a part two for sure. Um, so, so. Could you do this with buy and buy and hold properties? Could you put some Absolutely. buy and holds? And and yep. well, so what happens to the cash flow? Do you have to leave it in your retirement account, or can you? I don't know. I'm just um, so so. This is what's really cool. Imagine this. So now that we've had that conversation, that's a short term example, right? I sell the house for two hundred. I, I pay you back. Let's say it accrued ten thousand dollars in interest over a four month period, whatever, however long it took to fix and sell. And then uh, so you make your hundred and fifty back plus another ten, and you didn't have to do anything. That's pretty sweet. That's awesome. Then what do you what do you think you're going to do after that? You probably lend it out again, right? Mm-hmm. And then so whatever was left after broker fees and holding costs and closing costs, all that stuff, there's probably twenty or thirty grand left. That goes to me, just cool. because I engineered the whole transaction. Yeah, right. That's pretty cool too. That's yeah, yeah. no money out of my pocket, and I just made twenty or thirty grand. Hell yeah. So with your so, twenty or thirty, you have to reinvest, right? No. Pay tax. You paying cap, cap You paying capital gains on that? No, you don't. You don't pay capital gains on a twenty thousand dollars profit. Really? Again, it depends on how you're structured. Hold on a sec. I got to plug my phone in. It's losing battery. Hold on. I'll just have to hold it. So, this is another part that's important to be set up correctly. There's four pillars of um, four pillars of wealth, and it's important to have all of them in check. You know, real estate is just one of the pillars. The other three are taxes, which is huge, which is kind of the answer to what you're what you're asking. Correct. Making sure you're set up tax-wise and you're taking advantage of everything you can. Um, and then the other two are business and banking. A ba- uh, understanding banking is huge too. I mean, everybody knows what a business is and how to create it or, you know, the Having a having a uh, income producing business is, is key, but if you don't have the other things in check, using real estate to build your wealth, using taxes to maintain and save your wealth, you know, and using um, what is the other thing I said? Business, taxes, real estate, and banking. Mm-hmm. If you're not using the the proper banking elements, that can be hurtful too. That's why I don't use mortgages. So that's a whole other conversation that we could talk about. Um, there's a strategy called velocity banking where you're basically replacing all of your amortized interest loans with simple interest lines, line of credit, and you're eliminating hundreds of thousands of dollars in interest. 
and paying off your stuff faster. Nice. So you don't use that, again. That'd be a whole other conversation. But and what's that called again? What's killer. that called again? It's called velocity banking. Velocity banking. Velocity banking. Yeah. It's nice. just a strategy. It's just a. It's a debt uh, acceleration strategy. So, you said velocity banking. You don't use. So when you say you don't use a mortgage, you'd use private money only, right? Yeah. So I'll I'll quickly walk you through how I got my rental. I used private money to That's buy the rental. Yep. So I used private money to buy it. I made sure that it was the numbers were good, right? You can't just buy any old rental. The numbers have to be really good. So my numbers need to be if I'm going to do this this type of structure. My numbers need to be uh, 1.2% gross rent yield. So the, gr- the monthly gross has to be at least 1.2% or better of the overall purchase. So if I'm buying something for 100 grand, it needs to, it needs to rent for 1,200 or better in order for my strategy to probably work. Okay. Right? And so that's like, some people hear that and they're like, what? Those don't exist. They do exist all, all over the country. If you're just trying to invest in a huge city like Denver, You'll buy something for four hundred grand that rents for eighteen hundred a month. That doesn't work, and you could barely make a, a mortgage leveraged situation set you know work work well with that those numbers. Right. But if you know where to look, you can find deals like I'm talking about all day, mostly in the Midwest. Yes, sir, and in the South a little bit. Okay, okay. What I really wanted to know is because because I'm a buy and hold guy. And I'd yeah. like to I'd like to know how 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 to okay, put so these sorry. into your into your IRA and and what happens to the cash flow. <laughs> okay, um, sorry, I keep going off on tangents because <laughs> there's so much to explain. No, it's um, a lot of info. Thank you, we appreciate it. So let me go back to what we were talking about with the retirement account, so I can answer your question. So imagine you had um, five hundred thousand dollars in your retirement. No, imagine you had a hundred thousand dollars in your retirement. <laughs> Let's just say you bought one property with it. Let's say you bought a property that that um, rents for a thousand bucks a month. Let's say it nets actually a thousand bucks a month after all expenses. Is that not realistic? Okay, let's say eight hundred a month. <laughs> let's say it makes eight hundred a month after all bills paid. So eight hundred month month is is your return, right? That's your income from the money. Now, if your retirement account put the money up and you're holding this thing, your retirement account owns it. So that $800 a month goes back into your retirement account as cash flow, as growth. That's tax-free growth. Now, let's say you're happy with that. You're happy with the 800. It doesn't have any more. It's not making enough, you know, because you have the 100 grand sunk into it. Let's say you reach retirement age, or let's say you want to retire today. There's a form you can fill out called the 72T early distribution. A lot of people don't know this either. If you fill this form out you can start retirement. You can initiate distributions and there's no penalty on it. You don't have to wait till you're 59 and a half. So that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah. let's say you did that. Let's say you did that and you were like, cool, I'm, I'm fine with this 800 bucks a month. This is what I want to live off of. I know that's not realistic, but just for example terms. Um, all right, cool. So today we filed the 72T because we're not 59 and a half. Early distribution. We want 800 bucks a month. The rental property that my your account owns is is profiting 800 bucks a month. So 800 bucks will go into the retirement account, and then your distribution amount will come out and go to you, tax free if it's a Roth account. 
So you're living off of 800, you're, you're creating $800 a month in income, tax-free income every month for yourself for as long as the retirement account owns that property. Now, the only caveat to that situation is as soon as you initiate distributions in the retirement account, it is not allowed to bring on any more investments. It's not allowed to do any more investing. So you couldn't sell that property and buy another one with it. Uh, if you had more in it, you couldn't buy another property. You couldn't um, co contribute to it anymore. There's no more contributions allowed. It kind of just, you know, it turns into from taking money to now giving money only. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. And and so, what if you want? What if you're right now trying to accumulate buy and holds? So as, as, as that was my main question. So I guess until you're ready to start making withdrawals, all the cash flow has to go back into the IRA. Correct. Without being penalized, yes. If you personally benefit from the uh, from the cash flow and you haven't initiated distributions, you haven't decided I'm retiring from this account and I want the money from it. Um, if you take, if you personally benefit and you take, let's say you take 800 bucks cash and then the IRS finds out about it, they will immediately penalize you, penalize your account, right? So some, whatever value it's at will be penalized and then they'll initiate distribution for you. Ah, uh, so you, from so what you, I understand. So you tell your renters to just pay, you know, 1000 a month and give you the rest in cash. I'm just kidding. I'm just messing. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I suppose you could try that. <laughs> Just kidding. Everybody don't do yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's my main thing because, right, you know, right now starting off, you know, I got four houses right now. And, you know, I, I like the cash flow. And so if I can't touch it and I have to keep it in that retirement fund, that's kind of, you know, it kind of sucks. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, that's why they call it a retirement account because you're building for the future. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, like, if you're cool with what you're making now, but you want to keep bringing on properties, then maybe this this strategy could work. Because if you're if you're okay with not receiving the income right away and sort of building it up in a retirement account, you could do it that way. I mean, imagine if you had enough properties in your retirement account making you ten grand a month, and it was a Roth account, and you initiated distributions, and you were making ten grand a month tax free for the rest of your life, or as long as the properties are producing cash flow. I mean that's huge, man. Like, technically, you wouldn't even need any value in the in the account. Like, imagine you spent all the money in the account to buy these properties, and ten grand comes in, ten grand and one dollar comes in, and then you pull ten grand out, and there's only a dollar in the account every month, but it's cash flowing every month. So it's just going from the rentals into the account, and then to you, all tax free. That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. That's a life. That's a life hack, baby. <laughs> Yeah, we learned something from that. Yeah, I'm Googling that Rule 72T now. I'm like, this. yeah, man, check it out. On that. Well, we've been going at this for a, a long time now, um, and I do want to do an episode two, man, because I mean, we just for sure. we're just this is the tip of the iceberg right here. But oh, yeah. um, we appreciate you coming on, Martin Potts. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Potter. <laughs> Martin Potts. Martin Potts. There's a famous a famous surfer from Hawaii named Martin Potter, and they called him Potts. Oh, there you go. Pots. Potsy. I'm not him. <laughs> well, man, you've been um, enlightening us today, and this has been like, one of my favorite episodes. This is, uh, we appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, Absolutely. Man. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm about to be all up in your DMs asking real estate <laughs> advice now. 
same, man. What? What? Um. Okay. Where can people find you? Where can people find me? Let's see. Uh, my Facebook is just my name, Martin Potter. Um, and then if you're watching this, find the one that has my face, I guess. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not wearing glasses in the picture. And then my Instagram is, let's see, it's the underscore traveling Jew. <laughs> the, the traveling Jew. The, is it the traveling Jew or oh the underscore the, the, the traveling? Jew, I think it's trying D. to be fancy. It's the <laughs> the traveling Jew. <laughs> the like. underscore traveling Jew. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm following you now. There we go. No, the no one. Oh yeah. I got oh, it. you know Chance the rapper, huh? Yeah, that's my pro. My DP is me and Chance. Yeah, I like See? that. So no, Chance no. For Bennett. No wonder, no wonder you know much, uh, so much about banking, by the way. No. <laughs> Shout out to Chance. Chance. A big day in stores now. Oh, nice, nice. Well, thank you so much for hopping on with us, man. And, um, yeah, you, you've blown our minds today. This, is real, this has been a really great episode. And, um, yeah, we, we look forward to episode two with you, man, in the near future. Absolutely. Appreciate it. We'll talk about velocity banking and uh, paid up life insurance next time. Hell yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for coming on. Take care. All right, gentlemen. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hi, man. Thank you. Bye. Peace. And Peace. that and that was Martin Potter, the great Martin Potter. And um, did you get anything from this episode, Micah? Man, a lot of real estate stuff. I need to get step my real estate game up. <laughs> yeah, man. But, yeah, that, that 72T is real that's real legit i just looked it up yeah they, they I, I just got to look at the impl- implications of it but yeah that's something i would consider doing people should definitely look into the 72t rule if you're trying to get your money out your 401k 72t free. <laughs> where yeah, can people find us out. micah yeah you find us at liveletthrive.com find oh follow our ig we always got the surprises popping off on the ig uh, you can follow us at our Facebook pages. If you're watching on YouTube, all the links are below. Promotions. Uh, if you want money off your first Airbnb trip, all this stuff, just click the link below. But yeah, thank y'all for listening. All right. This is uh, Live, Let, Thrive. Peace out. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Live, Let, Thrive. Be sure to tune in next week for all the latest in the world of Airbnb and all that entails. Bye-bye.